Um, yes, Pentecost Sunday, Jackie's already pointed it out, David's led us, like the songs are absolutely perfect. I feel like we could just read through the words of the songs and that could be our, our preach this morning. Um, the fire, the fire of God fell and, uh, and in many ways it's why we're here today. Well, speaking of fire, I think it's just wanted to let you know that I slept like a log last night. Woke up in the fireplace. <laughs> Do you, what about what about just a, like a flat, just straightforward joke? <laughs> oh, I, might, I might as well try that. Um, what do you call a woman that throws all her credit card statements in the fire? The answer is not Nicola. Bernadette, what about that? Bernadette, yeah? Me, David. Oh, well, I'll take I'll take whatever laughter's going. Um, the fire of God appeared among them, and we've talked about this before. It feels like so much of what I want to say today, uh, I've said at various times over the last number of months. It, feels like pen- it almost feels perfect that Pentecost Sunday just brings everything together. And I think that's what, what was taking place, actually. All of the promises, all of the, all of the dreams and the visions that were in the heart of God as he poured his spirit out, um, that began to be fulfilled right across the Jewish world, but beyond into the Gentile world. And, the, and some of what we've sang today, uh, I've just been crying out to the Lord that we would feel it, the power of your presence. Um, because that was the promise before this Pentecost moment, when Jesus ascended to the heavens, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 uh, uh, gives us the promise that was given to the disciples that uh, there will be a moment whenever you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so I just want to read these verses. Um, there are quite a few, but I think it is, it's, it's what today is all about. So let's read Acts chapter 2. If you're following along or following behind me here, which hopefully it will be. I'm going to read uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to, I'll go to 21, and then another couple of verses towards the end. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, as David has already read. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And the tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. Remember we talked about that a few weeks ago. Remind you again, fire fell on each one. Each one of us have the full fire. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not 
all those, these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own native language? And I don't think I need to read all those places. Um, parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. Cretans, Cretans, feels like that's a... Not a, not a nice word. In our own languages, and we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, and all were um, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said they are filled with new wine. And so then here's Peter. I love this moment where Peter stands. Uh, and it's, not in, it's not in this version that I'm reading, but it'll be in some of your versions where Peter stood, and then all the other 11 stood with him. Just love the I just love the picture of that moment where Peter stands and all of the other 11 stand with him and he addresses the crowd and he says, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. This is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I shall show portents in the heaven above and signs in the earth below. Blood and fire and smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter goes on and, and uh, in the response to uh, this first sermon um, after Pentecost was, uh, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, brothers, what should we do? Um, and Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, so you receive, um, so your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And I wanted to read those last couple of verses there just because this is for those who are far away. This is for us. This promise is for these guys that were here, and it was also for those who were far away. So this is significant for us. It is important as it was 2,000 years ago. And last, last week we talked about, uh, from First Peter, when Peter said the, the, the end is near. And, and, uh, and so it's also prophesied here that um, this, is, this was fulfilling what the prophet Joel um, prophesied many years ago, that in the last days. And so just make the point again, as I, as I tried to do last week, that um, are we in the last days? Yes, we are. But we've been in the last days for the last 2,000 years. Um, and so what, what, I love about, uh, what I love about the sermon that Peter preaches here, what I love about his um, discovery of this prophetic word that Joel spoke, is that it, it actually is foundational to so much of what I, uh, what, what I hold to, what I believe so much of my theology, I think, is almost built on the foundation of what took place here. Because what Peter is, is telling the, those that are listening, this, this foundational moment for the church, I think, that he is shattering. And maybe this is just in my mind because of what we talked about in our midweek. Um, 
but he shatters all the hierarchy. We were talking about hierarchy um, in our midweek. Um, and I think what happens, what is taking place here is the spirit is poured out on all flesh. It shatters all of those notions of hierarchy. It shatters all of those religious norms or those religious expectations that, that people within this, um, with this environment would have had and even people within our own environments even now, 2,000 years later, still have. But I think shatters all the hierarchy, the placed men at the top or the placed the rich and successful at the top or placed adults at the top. And what the, what, what the spirit is being poured out in all flesh means that men and women, um, men and sons and daughters will prophesy. Young and old will see visions and dream dreams. Slaves and free will uh, prophesy because the spirit has been poured out on all flesh. And I know we talk about this regular, but I cannot emphasize enough that if you have a Bible and you're willing to underline it, like underline all, and don't put any asterisks at the side of it, which we are so um, quick to do. Those wee, those wee little asterisks you put in at the Word and then you go to find out um, Spirit being poured out in all flesh. And we are so tempted to, to add our own little asterisks there, where all actually doesn't mean all. All actually means us or ours or those that think the same way that I think or look the same way that I look or have the same thoughts and opinions that I have but the spirit has been poured out on all flesh this has been quite challenging for me this week because I feel like what I want to communicate this morning is that by the spirit because of this moment because of the spirit being poured out on the day of Pentecost, that by the Spirit we get to experience God. We get to experience God, have an experience of God. And maybe maybe this isn't a thing for you. Maybe this is maybe this is my stuff. Maybe some of the baggage that I maybe still carry from many church experience. But but, but the, even the use of that language automatically makes us feel a bit a bit cautious to talk about experience or to talk about feelings the my comfort zone is to think about god my comfort zone is to debate about the things of god and it's to um it's to talk about god and talk about the discoveries you find in his word and throughout church history and maybe too often I forget that God is to be experienced. God is to be experienced. And there's moments, and I've been, th- I've probably been through this many times and from both sides, that we can end up with this idea that you have to choose between being like, like academic or charismatic. You end up feeling like you have to choose. People maybe ask you what type of church are you a part of, and you feel like you've had to choose between being uh, people of the word. We are people of the word. We are a church of the word, or people of the spirit. And I would love that people would ask that question, and you're just like able to say, "Are you? 
are you word? Are you a, are you a church of the word or a church of the spirit? I just love to be able to say yes. <laughs> like it's not it's not an either or, and sometimes it, that has been almost a false dichotomy that we have created. We want to be people of the word and the spirit. We want to be a church of the word and the spirit. And the reality is, the truth is, I don't know if you're already you're already thinking of people that have pursued experience and you've seen some of the some of the, the odd behaviors or some of the the crazy behaviors from those who have pursued experience. And I want to, and I think we've we have touched on this before. But and I and I and I recognize, I do recognize that there are pitfalls. There are dangers, there are things that can trip us up whenever you you pursue experience, maybe head into to territory that is seemingly a bit dodgy. But I think I've come to really discover, and I think through my own experience and through friendships with others, that there is equally, if maybe at times more, pitfalls on the other side. If you give yourself to thinking about God, having the right ideas about God, talking about God, debating about God. I think there's pitfalls the other way as well. I think the pitfalls the other way is you become really dry. Like faith, faith can become really dry. Your Christian life can become, maybe it seems harsh to say, but deficient whenever you just pursue right thinking or right doctrine. And maybe this, is an, maybe this is an unfair thing to say, or maybe this is, I don't know if it's helpful or not, but I've found myself in moments over the last, especially over the last couple of years, asking myself, what side do I want to err on? What side do I want to... I think I've got to the place where I know that right until Jesus comes back, I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to make mistakes the whole way along. Um, and I want to be able to say that to you too. In fact, I will say it to you too. You are going to make mistakes too. I'm sorry if that's shocking. Please don't get up and walk out if you think that's a really awful thing for me to say. But I feel like I want to make, if I want to fall on one side of the mistakes that I'm going to make, I want to fall on the side of, of love and grace and experience and feeling something feeling something, experiencing something of the power of God, of the, of the moments like this that just that actually make faith and make this journey come alive. I, m- I remember listening to somebody a while back and they talked talking around something similar to what I'm talking about today. And I loved it. They said their job, they they feel like their job is to keep, try to like lead people through this is to find the sweet spot between weirdo and dryness. And so that's what I want to do. So if you want to, like, maybe that's a good like uh, a good title for the sermon series: finding the sweet spot between weirdo and dryness. And that's what that's where that's where I want to find myself. I think for me, I've like been. Not that I've been dry, but I feel like I've been so... That's probably part of my personality. I think that's worth talking about too. Um, but whenever you re- re- begin to recognize that this is... 
This needs life. This needs something to spark. This needs the fire of God to do, like, do something in me. I want to find myself maybe getting a wee bit closer to the weirdo. Like, I'm hearing myself saying all of this, and I'm thinking, who's going to come back to church next Sunday if that's where he's taking us? I'm not. I'm not. Just like for myself, I'm trying to find that place where I'm like desperate and longing and pursuing an experience and encounter. I suppose over the last couple of years have um, becomes more, I don't know if I could say influence, I don't think that would be the right word to use, but I have um, I tried to discover more of the, who are, people who are known as Christian mystics. And I think I'd heard of Christian mystics years ago. I was like, I am, how is that? How is Christian and mystics even in the same sentence? That's, that's, that's crazy. But some of, the, some of these remarkable, remarkable people, essentially how it's defined just in the dictionary is that mystics are those who believe in the spiritual apprehension of truth beyond intellect. So it's essentially those, um, and you could go right back to the fourth century, you could come right to the modern times to, to, to read and to learn from those who, um, who are these type of people who believe that the, being able to experience truth beyond just what we know, beyond just intellect. And Karl Rachner was a German priest and theologian. And I came across this, uh, came across this quote a number of years ago, and um, I don't think I really understood it. I think it sounded good to be able to quote a German priest and theologian, and the quote sounded pretty good, and I don't think I really understood it. I think I'm starting to a wee bit better now. He said that the devout Christian of the future will either be a mystic, someone, so someone who has experienced something, or will cease to be anything at all. So he said this, he said this maybe, like, maybe about 100 years ago, just less than 100 years ago. It almost feels incredibly prophetic, I think, for today. I think as I, as I look at the church, as I look at all that we're contending for, and all the battles and all of the, all of the things that are taking place within society, it really feels like the, the Christian, the devout Christian needs to be someone who will experience, someone who will experience something or will cease to be anything at all. That's why I don't want... I don't want for myself, or I definitely don't want for you to be living this life just out of our heads. I just don't know if that will sustain us any longer. I just feel like I don't know if it, it will keep sustaining me just simply living out of what I know, just simply living out of what I've heard and read and talked about and debated about. I don't want that for myself. I don't want that for us. And what better day to talk about this than whenever the Spirit of God fell on the day of Pentecost and just blew all of that, like blew it all out of the water. And I love to think about God. I love to read about God. So I think that I'm, whenever I come, I love him with my mind. Maybe not all of my mind, but I'm like, that's, that's, my, that's probably my sweet spot or my comfort spot is to love him with all of my mind. I really want to go on this journey, maybe personally, but maybe as a church, what is it to love him with all of our heart? 
it's really easy to say. It's really it's a it's a line that we can we can quote and we've quoted it. I'm sure you've done it many times, no matter what your church experience has been, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and your sh- and strength. I feel like I've done my best loving with my mind, and I'm, and I'm wondering what it looks like to love him with my heart. Because I think about, think about the things that I know that I love. Like I love Judith, and I love the kids. But if you try to tell me to explain that, I, I, that's, it's really difficult. Like to fully explain the love that I have for Judith and the kids is, is like how do you do that? How do you put that into words? How do you, how do you put that, something that is beyond explanation into words? And, and as I think about my Christian life, as I think about my Christian experience, if you ask me what it is to love God, I would be able probably to explain it and to define it and to talk about it and debate it. And that's good and it's healthy, but I'm what would it be for to love him with all of my heart? And I'm inspired by people that, like Blaise Pascal, who was a, who was a mathematician. So somebody, like a mathematician, somebody who has, like, has to have it all figured out. Like planned and strategized and all of that. But even Blaise Pascal said that the heart has reasons of which reason knows nothing. The heart has its reasons of which reasons know nothing and then said we know this in countless ways as the heart can lead us i think i think the heart can lead us into deeper understanding i love to see i love to see dreams coming alive in this place and i heard somebody recently talk about um dreams being like when your heart heart, it's heart thinking like it's almost like your mind's i don't know how true that is but your mind's asleep and whatever you're dreaming not that maybe all dreams have meaning but there's some, some dreams that do and it's your heart that's thinking and the heart can lead the way into a deeper understanding of God so if we can so easily I can so easily restrict my knowledge of God and my understanding of him on what I, f- what I find alone in my head rather than what I find in my heart I feel like there's an invitation for us on, on the day of Pentecost to once again open ourselves to the new experience of the Spirit. To listen to the Spirit. To open our hearts once again to the Spirit. So I, I, I don't want it for us that our theology would become cold, that our understanding, that our knowledge of God would become deficient that we would be open to the spirit and so I I finish with this and I just would love us that love David and Judith just to finish with um, one last song at, at the end just to give us a, a few moments to respond um, Luke 11 Jesus talking these give us those um, the Lord's Prayer is how the chapter starts. It gives us a lesson in persevering in prayer. And I'll pick it up in, in verse 9. Um, Jesus says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks f- finds and 
for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This was reading that verse in the middle of the week and and almost like a record that got stuck. That was that was it got stuck in that verse thirteen. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So I think that I've had moments where, like, I do ask. I do ask. I don't even know how to define it but I th- or how to fully explain it, but I think I've asked out of my head more than I've asked out of my heart. I sort of try to, <laughs> to, try to say what, what it looks like to, to ask them with your heart. I don't know if I can fully do it. But I think it maybe looks like, and what I'd love us to have the freedom to do now as we finish off with the last song and the chance just to respond wherever you find yourself. It's God, I'm, I'm actually asking. And that means having to, to get rid of all of the things that I think that I know. And be open to a new experience of the Spirit. My favorite story, my favorite story, or maybe my favorite story changes all the time, whatever, whatever I'm speaking about. But I think this has been pretty consistent. Peter and Cornelius. Like Peter had all the knowledge in his head. What strikes me is that what strikes me is that Peter had been filled with the Spirit. Peter already had this moment. And where the Spirit had been poured out. And that's why I think we need to ask and keep on asking, is what it actually says in the original. Ask and keep on asking. This is not just going to be a one-off moment. And so Peter, who had it all worked out in his head, he had all the things understood, he had all the religious expectations, he had all of that stuff, his ducks in a row, he could debate, he had thought well about God, he talked well about God. And then he had this moment where the spirit fell and he got caught up in this trance and he was told something, he was told to do something that went outside of all that he had thought before, all that he knew in his head, all that he'd taken hold of and lived with for his whole, his whole life. And, um, oh man, lost the moment. But... <laughs> Caught, like his whole life was given to this and then he has a moment where the spirit is poured out and he, he wrestles with it he needs, to have a, he needs to be able to open his heart he needs to be able to open himself to a new experience of the spirit and I'm so glad that he did because the, 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 the book of Acts would be a short, much shorter book if Peter hadn't said yes to a new experience of the spirit if he hadn't opened his heart if he had just stuck with what he knew if he had just been led and continued to love God with all of his mind, that part of the Gentile world, would, I'm sure the gospel would have got there eventually. But because Peter was, Peter was willing to say yes 
to a new experience. He was willing to listen to the voice of the Spirit, even though initially he did it reluctantly. He got there in the end. So thank goodness for that. It's not a, but it's not a one-off moment. Peter had that encounter, that experience um, with the Spirit being poured out, but he needed it again and again. It was more than just a one-off moment. He had to ask and keep on asking. He had to seek and keep on seeking. He had to knock and keep on knocking. And he had to keep on coming to the Father who he knew was good and ask for the Holy Spirit. And I have to trust Jesus. I have to trust what Jesus says here, that he'll give it to those who ask. He'll give it to those who ask. And I think he is today... In the days we find ourselves, he's wanting us to give it so that we would experience God. For, for, the, for all that's going on around us, and maybe all that's going on within us, we, we need to ask, and we need to be willing to receive what he gives in order for us to experience God. So David and, uh, David and Judith, come and, come and lead us in this. And David's more the spirit man, so he can he can help us, he can push us a wee bit further than I than I can.